For all our uh, Merry Christmas. For all our British friends, Happy Christmas. In British English, Merry means drunk. So, so they say Happy Christmas, all right? Unless they want to be merry. <clears throat> Man, I'm glad y'all are here today. Um, big announcement uh, for me to you is today is our 34th wedding anniversary, even as my wife is running away from me right now. Yes. Yeah, 34 years ago, in two and a half hours, we got married. And uh, immediately afterwards, she realized I had fooled her, but she hung in for 34 years. So I am so grateful for that part, and, uh, and God has blessed me with that. Um, you can be opening your Bibles to Luke 1. I'm going to reference another reference, so I want you to be in Luke 1. But uh, if you're new or this first time, or to remind you, um, I'm preaching this, this December on the women of Christmas, all those women found in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1, and, uh, and Mary, of course, is in there. And I'm jumping over Bathsheba to get to Mary. I'll come back to Bathsheba next week. In chronological order, it should be Bathsheba next. Um, but being the Sunday before Christmas, um, we're going to go ahead and, and talk about Mary a little bit. And if you were in Bible study, how many of y'all were in, in Connect Group Bible study between services? A few of you, okay, a lot of y'all come early and then, do, then go home, I guess. But um, if you weren't, you missed a great blessing, um, but it's a miracle. Today, Sunday school and I'm preaching on the exact same thing, isn't it? Isn't it um, but on the birth of Christ. So uh, I want you to see a lot out of Mary. And in fact, um, kind of the theme of Mary, I'm just calling it love, because Mary did what she did out of an intense love for God. Now, we know moms love their children, but Mary is... is relatively unique she's not the only one this has ever happened to but Mary was there when Jesus was born and he was there when he died and most mothers don't experience that some do probably in this room some have whether miscarriage or some tragedy and 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 it we always think of that as a tragic event and and it is and uh and and so you can at least ladies that have been through that especially can sympathize, empathize with Mary more. If you're a lady with children, you can empathize more than us guys. But we can all realize that, man, uh, there's something about Mary. Now, I, I want to bring out some, several things about Mary as we will go along because Mary is a unique person. Um, and, and I want to dispel a, a couple of myths as we go. So um, hopefully I'll be able to do that. But here's what I want you to take home with you today. If you can put that up, love will cause you to abandon yourself to the will of God. Love will cause you to abandon yourself to the will of God. Um, that is, I love that phrase, abandon. I love the phrase, utter abandon. Um, it, it is a term that uh, we don't use enough because what it means is that you, you are not concerned for your safety at all. All of our all the top-tier athletes, all the top-tier military guys, anybody that does extreme activity in the world understand total abandon because there are things that you have to do that if you don't abandon yourself to them, you will not do them right. But if you don't do them right, it'll kill you. <laughs> and so they are running a razor's edge to go beyond that, that fear of, man, if I mess this up, it is not going to end well to total abandonment. Well, Mary is a woman that expressed total abandon, utter disregard for herself so that Christ could be 
who God made him to, or not God made him to be, boy, that was weird, uh, that he could be what he intended to be here in the world. Christ was not created. He did not begin to exist in Bethlehem. He entered human existence as a man at Bethlehem. I want to get that theology straight. I'm not a heretic. I was just misspeaking because that's what we usually say, that we are created for a special thing. Jesus came for a special reason, and he's very unique. So I want you to remember that, that love will cause you to utterly abandon yourself to God. And so uh, I want you to look in Luke in chapter 1. This is when Mary hears the news. And I'm going to tell the story a little bit. And the first point I want to make is that Mary was troubled. Mary was troubled. And on the fly, I want to tell uh, the good folks up there that that helped me out, I'm probably going to skip point two out of the outline I will say something about but I'm not going to go in detail so just letting you know Um, but anyway look at verse um, 20 uh, sorry 26 in the sixth month and let me just stop and reference that sixth month of what well notice the story of Mary here starts in verse 26 so what happened first 25 verses what happened first 25 verses is the, the conception of John the Baptist, which was a miraculous conception, much like Sarah in the Old Testament, a woman who's too old to have a baby. They never had a baby. Um, her husband is serving in the temple, and the angel appears to him, says, your wife's going to have a baby. And he didn't believe him, and he said, well, here's your sign. You won't be able to talk until the baby's born. So for nine months, the husband couldn't talk. The baby's born. They want to name him after his father or grandfather or some other relative, and, and his mom keeps insisting his name's going to be John. And so they finally turn to the dad and he said, bring me something to write on. He wrote, his name is John. And so John the Baptist is born. This is a cousin to Jesus. And when Elizabeth was six months along, Gabriel comes back and appears to Mary. And it's going to be a sign for Mary that what the angel tells her is true. I'll come back to that. So listen, listen to verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel said, Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her and said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be that's verse 29 it's one I want to focus on uh, as we as we go forward Mary uh, is, is a little bit shocked. She's completely shaken by this announcement. Now, even we, and, and the we I'm talking about is Baptist, you know, we're a certain kind of denominational uh, kind of, we have our own personality. But there are other religious groups that, that venerate Mary. They make much to do about Mary. Um, I, I think mainly the Roman Catholic Church, they do that quite a bit. Uh, a few but, a few decades back, they were talking about making Mary the fourth person of the Trinity. Um, that didn't pan out, obviously. But, but, they, but even in our culture, uh, Christian culture, we think of Mary and, oh, this beautiful woman. This, you know, she was a kid. She was pretty young. Uh, that's the natural order of things back in those days. She was very young, probably a teenager, maybe mid-teens, somewhere in there. Um, so... So you got to get that in your mind. Plus, she was a special woman because I believe God made her, of course, to give birth to Christ. But anytime God creates us for a purpose and calls us, we still have to give assent to that. We're not robots. He doesn't just send us out. We still have to say yes to his will. 
We have to exercise our will. And I believe Mary was a woman who understood a lot about Old Testament and the stories there. I would say New Testament, but it hadn't been written yet. Um, but she understood a lot. I believe that she was from a family that, that taught a lot about that. We see a little hints of that through her story. I won't make a lot out of that, but I just want you to understand that. But if you're a young girl and you're home and suddenly this angel appears, that's going to trouble you enough, okay? And, and it's just, it, it should be shocking. I believe, now understand, angels can appear and you don't know it. The Bible says in Hebrews, sometimes we entertain angels unawares. We, we don't realize who they are. But they can also appear as these mighty beings. And I believe Gabriel is going to really make a big show out of this because he's announcing the coming of the Messiah, that God is leaving his throne to come and become a human being in the womb of a woman, down to that almost microscopic size of a fertilized egg in a a young girl's womb. That is amazing. And notice at that moment, it is God the Son being developed into a human being. It is not an indefinable tissue mass. It is not less than human. It is a human at a different point of development. Let's make that point very clearly. I want to clear up one thing about Mary at this point. Uh, well, let, let me read, 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 look at this for a second before I do that. Is that she was greatly troubled at the saying. So I think the angel itself. But what did the angel say? He says, uh, greetings, uh, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, that ought to shock you a little bit. If you're her, it's like, favored, what do you mean favored? What's going on? What does this mean? She, is, she shook. She shook to the core. In fact, this word troubled is the same kind of word used when, when uh, in the Bible somebody would see an angelic being or something and fall down as a dead person or, or collapse in the, in the fright of it and have to be picked up and go, hey, it's okay, man. We're, we're together on this. And it's that same fright. Now, notice she doesn't fall down, so she's a pretty tough girl. Uh, she, but she is troubled, completely troubled at the saying. And she is a thinker. Look at that verse 20, uh, uh, 29. She is troubled, but she's trying to figure out what it means. Remember in, in Luke 2 at Jesus' birth, it says she pondered these things in her heart. My wife had an idea about that word and asked me to look it up. And I did. And that word ponder means to put two things together. In other words, you know, we say when somebody's not real intelligent, they don't know two plus two equals four. We elect a lot of those to office, but I had to get a response somehow. Okay, sorry about that. Well, that word ponder actually means that. And my wife was saying, I believe that Mary was remembering the things she was taught out of the Old Testament and pondering, whoa, all these prophecies are coming true here. You know, because... Even with the angel's announcement, she's just, she's going to think this through for the rest of her life. And so she is wondering, she's discerning, what does this mean? And then the angel says it to her. Don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. All of that is very prophetic. That's found in the Old Testament. The angel is telling Mary, this baby is going to fulfill all of these prophecies. So she tried to understand the greeting, but once she got the fuller picture, 
she's got a question she wants answered. She's like, hold on, I got a question here. She, because she's thinking, she's not just going, what? Okay, write it down so I can figure it out later. She's trying to keep up, and she is keeping up. Because it creates a question in her life, creates a question in her heart. She's got one question especially she wants answered. And we see it there in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how's that going to happen? I'm a virgin. Okay, and that's, that's the Stuart translation. But it says, how will this be since I am a virgin? How is that, how is that possible? How is that going to happen? How can this happen? Now, I want you to understand something. Without the virgin birth, you're not saved. If Mary is not a virgin, when Jesus is conceived in her womb, you can't be saved because it would have, that baby would have had an earthly father and the sin of Adam is passed on through the fathers to their children. And by the way, that's why God created male and female and that's it. All right? The female inherits the sinful nature, but the man is the one that's passing it along. In the womb of Mary... The blood of a baby and the blood of the mom never meet. They pass on either side of a, of, of a wall that's permeable, but the blood won't go through it. But the oxygen and the nutrition will. And it, and it feeds the baby, but if the blood mixes, it'll kill the baby. And so that's why there's some diseases and dangerous things for babies in the womb. And so that is what's going to be happening. And the father is God, not Joseph. And she's, go, she's in her head, she's like, well, it sounds like, I mean, you're not going to say this and it's going to happen a year from now and I'm already engaged to be married. And that word means a whole lot more back then. That betrothal, it was, a, it was legally binding that you had to be divorced from being betrothed. If you go back and look at Joseph in Matthew 1, it says he was going to divorce her quietly. He's, pu- he's picking that, that belief back then that you could divorce for any reason and she's with child, but he doesn't want to embarrass her. So he's going to quietly put her away and just say, oh, I changed my mind, trying to protect her. But the angel says, don't be afraid. You take her to your wife. Now, I learned in Sunday school this morning that you were not legally married until you consummated the marriage. And Matthew 1 says Joseph did, kept her pure that way until after Jesus was born. He didn't know her till after Jesus was born. So they weren't officially married till after the birth of Christ. That's why Luke 2 says, and his betrothed wife, they're together. We would say, oh, that's his common law wife. Well, we, there is a law that acknowledges if you've lived with somebody a long time, you can be their wife. But we always put that moniker on it, meaning you didn't go through a ceremony and legally you're not, but you kind of are. Well, Mary was legally his wife, and it was frowned upon for them to come together as husband and wife. But Joseph begins to take care of her and let her live with him, yet he kept her, uh, they, they never had relationships until after Christ was born. That's a lot of explanation to me, quite go that far. But so she asked this angel, how's that going to work? And the angel says, goes on to say, God himself is going to put that in you, that baby, that seed is going to fertilize your egg. And you're, going to, you're going to be found with a baby. And, and let me just read what it says, and then I'll say some more. The angels answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed. I want you to go back there to that conception moment. I mentioned the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not 
criticizing them, but this is an unbiblical belief. And you've heard the term immaculate conception. We don't understand that term because we're not Catholic. Um, and so most people here, they believe it means virgin birth. It does not. Immaculate conception means they believe that Mary was sinless until after Jesus was born. That she had no sin. And I've already described that's ridiculous. She was born in sin. She was a sinner from the beginning. She needed a savior. Which raised a question in my mind this week that I'm not going to cover. Well, I will a little bit in this sermon. When did Mary ever pray a prayer of salvation? A sinner's prayer. Uh, that thought hit me. It's like, when did that happen? Because here God is using her, uh, and they didn't even have that understanding of anything like that at that point. But I'll show it to you in a second. And so she has this big question, and the angel answers her. And by his answer, he gives her external evidence that's going to prove it. Notice what he said. He says, look, look at your cousin Elizabeth. In her old age, she's conceived a son. Now, they live pretty far apart from each other, and she hadn't heard this news. Look, you got a cousin over there. She's six. Elizabeth's six months pregnant. You go see her and find out what I've told her, Gabriel the messenger. It's implied there in the text. I love this story. This has nothing to do with sermon, really, but I just love it, so I'm going to tell you anyway. It's just parenthetical, but I hope it bless you. How many of y'all remember what happened when Mary showed up at Elizabeth's house? Now remember, Elizabeth's six months pregnant. Mary has just conceived. Nobody would even know Mary's pregnant. She's not showing. There's nothing there. It's, it's just that tiny, almost microscopic being starting to develop. Y'all remember what happened? She came in and said, hey, Elizabeth, it's Mary. And John has a holy fit in, in Elizabeth's womb. I mean, he starts rejoicing and praising the Lord, just getting excited right away. From conception to six months to nine months to 90, we are always a human being. And Joseph and John responds in her womb. And Elizabeth says, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come and visit me? I mean, they all get it right on the moment. The angels told them, this is happening. That's going to happen. This is going to happen. That. And when she goes and sees Elizabeth and that happens, it's like, yep, that was not just a bad dream. That angel did appear to me. This is what's going on. Because Elizabeth said it without Mary telling her what it was going to be. I love that part. I love that John rejoiced in her womb. That just, ah, love it. John is the first human that was said he was full of the Holy Spirit from the womb, from before he was, before he was born. So anyway, so six months older than Jesus, they're cousins, and John is the herald of Christ's coming, by the way. But here's what I really want you to get in this, in this text. This is Mary's salvation prayer. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Listen to this and digest it. Let it be to me according to your word. That is, well, let me think. It's not, well, let me think about it. It's not, okay. I, if you know me at all, you know I, I love hearing about military and military stories and people that have served i, I just i love that I, I grew up 50 feet from a fence that separated uh the property from the charleston naval base so i grew up in a military town and my dad was in the navy served in world war ii so i, I kind of been around it but I, I heard a guy i like to listen to and and he was a soldier uh, uh, he was really hurt in afghanistan around 2005 
And, uh, and, and they've even made a movie and all about his life, wrote a book. And I heard somebody, I, he said it a long time ago, but somebody asked him uh, in this film I saw, they said, why do you love America so much? And he said, because y'all came and got me. And they went, what? He said, and this is the part that got me. He said, I signed up to be a disposable asset. I signed up to die for this country. And as far as anybody knew, I was dead. And y'all came and found me under a bench in the mountains of Afghanistan. I love this country. Because that's what America's supposed to be, right? Mary in this sentence is saying, I'm a disposable asset. Whatever you want to do, Lord, do it. That is salvation. Salvation is not praying a prayer, oh Lord, I'm a sinner, please save me because I don't want to go to hell. Just give me my fire insurance so I can make sure that no matter what I do from now on, I'm not going to hell. That's not becoming a Christian. A Christian is somebody who wants to follow Christ, wants to be like Christ. And is willing to totally surrender their life, say, I don't care who you want in my life as a relationship. I don't care what job you want me to do as a, as a worker. I don't care what you want me to do in the body of the church. I will do anything you ask, anything you say. I am utterly abandoned on you and your grace. I will do whatever you ask. I will be whatever you want me to be. Our works don't save us, but when we come to Christ, he gives us works to do, and we have to be willing to surrender everything to do those works. And Mary in that sentence says that, Behold, I'm a slave to the Lord. Do whatever you want with me. Woo! What a statement. It's amazing, that statement. But I want you to understand something. I said earlier that we kind of make Mary this, you know, I've got a manger scene out in front of my house. These white cutouts, you know, Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus and our dog chewed up the lamb. So... I had to explain to her, don't do that. She hadn't done it since, but anyway. And there's Mary, all outlined in white, in a very humble praying position. This is a young woman who is now going to suffer for the rest of her life. Let me tell you, there are people today that say Mary was not a virgin. The Pharisees, when Jesus was ministering, said, Abraham's our father. We don't know who your father is. For the rest of her life, she's looked down upon as being with child out of wedlock. For the rest of her life, nobody, well, not nobody, believers believe. But most people just had a bad, and they didn't mind saying it to her. Yeah, but you're that girl. Be it done to me according to your will. I am willing to suffer shame. I'm willing to suffer heartache. And by the way, Mary does for the rest of her life suffer much. But she's willing. She's willing. Man, I'm telling you, we live in a country, if they get your order wrong at the McDonald's window, you just pitch a fit. Right? It's, it's freezing in here. What's the temperature on? 70? <laughs> oh, I'm freezing to death. Put on a sweater, man. What's your problem? <laughs> you know? I, I, right? We're standing in the microwave going, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I can't believe i got to wait this long. We complain about the dumbest stuff. And God is calling us to death. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross, because we're going to die. And you're going to die. We're going to die together. We died with Christ on his cross. We are already dead men walking if you're a believer in Christ. And so whatever happens to you in this life shouldn't matter. That you just walk the path God has for you, and if it kills you, great. If it doesn't kill you, great. Paul said, 
To leave is great. To stay is great. I didn't know which one to do. I chose to stay because y'all need me. He didn't care. He did not care. Why? Because we're already there. We are already in heaven. The Bible says in Ephesians, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. It doesn't matter. We are already there. And Mary was present throughout Jesus' life. And then when I said I was going to take out, point two kind of is repeated in point three, and it's a lot of detail in point three, so I want to get to the detail. I want just to mention to you that Mary was there at the birth and at the death of her son. I've already mentioned that. Look with me in Luke chapter 1 and verse 38. Mary was surrendered. In verse 38 of Luke 2, sorry, I'm still in Luke 1. I'll turn the page. Am I saying that right? Luke 1.38. I'm sorry. Luke 1.38 is where she surrendered. I already read that. She surrendered to God's will. Luke 1.38. I'm sorry. I, I had something in my mind, and it's the next thing. Luke 1.38 is where Mary surrenders to the will of God. So I want you to understand that. First of all, she surrendered to the will of God. Now we're going to see how the will of God unfolds in her life. In Luke 2, verses 48 uh, to 51, she, uh, she well, let, let me back up. Look at the top of Luke 2. She surrenders to give birth, and, and I want you to see that she's going to lay the baby in the, in the cradle and in the tomb. In Luke 2, um, in verse 6, and while they were there, time came for her to give birth. In verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there's no room for them in the end. The, the, the picture there, those swaddling clothes are how you wrapped up a dead person. There's some other things I've been hearing this, learning this year, but let's just stick with that for the moment. That he was wrapped up in, in death clothes and laid in a manger. When you look later in the Bible um, at, at his death, we see Mary at the cross and Mary sees them lay him in a tomb. And that those two bookends connect that whole experience of Mary. Mary surrendered to God's will, and I've talked about that, but she also surrendered to God's child, and that's Luke 2.48. I need to say that to get us to Luke 2.48. Luke 2.48 says this. Um, well, you know, let me, let me tell you the story before I get to that verse. They, once a year, they went up to Jerusalem. Now, they're living in Nazareth, so they go to Jerusalem and, uh, to go to the temple and do what they do every year, Passover time. Well, when they head home, they don't all get in the same car and go home. They're walking. And so Jesus got cousins. They got friends, people from the same town in Nazareth have gone with them. They're, they're, they're just out there. And so they figure, I mean, Jesus is 12. He's big enough to kind of take care of himself. He's probably with John. Those guys always seem to get, be together, those cousins of them. I don't know what they're talking about so intently together. I'm joking around, obviously. God's working there. But so they didn't miss them for three whole days. That sounds pretty crazy doesn't it and being in a caravan let's say they made 10 miles a day they might have made 20 miles a day but they, I don't know how far it is but let's say they're only about 30 miles out and Mary looks at Joseph and goes hey have you seen Jesus no I haven't not in three days have you no well where is he and they start looking for him they can't find him he's not there Janice and I had a small picture of that once our, our son was about nine or ten years old we started Sunday afternoon at four o'clock we would we would start one thing, and then about five, we had another thing, and then we do church at seven. So we're at, it's sort of like CTI, but we also had other things going on. And so we were there from four, and about seven, I walk in the auditorium, Janice is sitting in that building right there as I come in the door. 
And I say, hey, um, you, where's Ian? She goes, I thought you had him. We've been there three hours. I didn't bring him. She didn't bring him. Man, she's on her feet running. She jumps in the car, races back home. It's about seven miles. She gets in there. When she goes in, his room was upstairs. Ian, she starts yelling. She goes up the stairs. He's in his room with a game controller. And he looks and says, is it time for church? <laughs> totally unconcerned. He was fine. But boy, that terror in that moment. We left him home. And, you know, this is no cell phones, all that stuff back then. And, and where is he? I, I can kind of want, you know, Mary and Joseph, where is he? And they start running through the crowds of friends or neighbors. You know, even Elizabeth, you got John? Where's Jesus? We can't find him. And so you run back to Jerusalem. They know he's there. And I don't know how long that took them. They're pretty motivated. It probably didn't take them as long to get back as it did to get where they were. And we come down Luke 2:48 when they find him in the temple. And he's with all these teachers and he's teaching them because he wrote it. And when his parents saw him in verse 48, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? That word us, read into that me. <laughs> right? She's a Jewish mom. She didn't mean us. She meant me. Your dad, you know, he's a knothead. He don't care. But I care. Probably not. I'm just teasing. Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. So like any good Jewish mother, Mary finds her son. He's safe and sound. Now she wants to make him feel guilty. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, you would think that would be insulting to Joseph. The Bible doesn't record any response from Joseph. Joseph knows who he is. He knows who Jesus' dad is. And he's good with that. But notice what it says about Mary. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Jesus submitted himself to the authority of his parents. He was obedient. He humbled himself. He didn't say, oh, I'm God. I ain't got to listen to you. He lived the man, the, per, the human experience. But notice what it says about Mary at the end there. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. In verse 51. I told you at his birth, at, at the announcement she's wondering. At his birth she's pondering. He's 12 years old. She's still putting it all together in her heart. She's thinking about it. But Mary was surrendered to God's child. When he said that. She starts thinking about, you know what? He belongs to God. He is God. He's God's child. And she continues to meditate on that. She's thinking about it. The next time they, they pop up together on the scene is in John chapter 2. Where it's the first publicly rec recorded public miracle of Jesus. He could have done other things. We don't know. But this is in a timeline. This is the first one the Bible records. And Mary gets invited to a wedding. And obviously the host said, hey, bring your son and his friends. So Mary and Jesus and all his disciples go. How would you like that? You're putting on a wedding and now you got 1 plus 13. That's quite, a, that's quite an extra number. And on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman... What does this have to do with me? My hour's not yet come. Now, that's a troubling verse for us. We don't get that verse. So I did some research to make sure I could explain this well. I'm about to take a sip of water. It means I've got a lot to say. That phrase is not insulting. Okay, let me just put it that way. 
It is a phrase that would be used in public of, of someone, especially a, a man to a woman, no matter if it's his wife, his sister, or his, or his mother. There is a public way of acting and there's a private way of acting in their culture. Publicly, Mary has approached Jesus to ask him to do something and he is a full-grown man. He's 30 years old. And the address of woman is not like woman. It's just woman. It's, it's like, hold on. In fact, that phrase can be used for, I hate you, don't ever talk to me again, all the way to, hey, I need some time. I need to just be by myself for a minute, okay? It runs the whole gamut. So Jesus is saying this. He obviously doesn't hate his mother. He's more saying, I'm not going to do what you tell me just because you say something. You can't tell me what to do, especially publicly. Woman, well, what does this have to do with me? My hour's not yet come. Now his hour is the cross, right? He's saying, I've got a plan. You know where I'm headed. Don't interfere with that timeline. Don't come asking me to do something to show off. He's letting her know. And I know it doesn't bother her because of her response. Remember what she said to the angel? She turns away from him in verse 5 and says, do whatever he tells you. She looks at those guys standing, she probably said, hey, I bet my son can help us out. Come here, you, you're going to be amazed. Come on. Hey, Jesus, they ran out of wine. I brought them over so you could help them out. Like, woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour's not yet come. She goes, gotcha. Hey, guys, whatever he tells you, do it. Because if Jesus said, get away from me, that, that was fine. She didn't tell him what to say anymore. She just said, whatever he says, do it. If he tells you to leave him alone, leave him alone. But then, of course, you know the rest of the story. They he said, go get all these jars, fill them with water, pour them in these jars. And when they poured it out, it had become wine, right? So Jesus did this first miracle. I would point out another heretical doctrine, and that is you pray to saints. Or saints can protect you. There's only one recorded instance that I know of in a Bible where a person prays to a saint in heaven or in paradise. And that is the rich man in hell. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, would you send Lazarus down here to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in torment in this flame? And Abraham said, nope, doesn't happen. He said, well, would you send him back to earth to tell my brothers unless they come down to this place because they're going to kill me because I'm the one who led them here. And he said, nope, that ain't going to happen either. Now, I want you to notice where the prayer originated. It originated in hell. It was prayed to a saint, and he got him nothing. Why would you pray to a middleman? Even a person that the Catholic Church regards as a saint is a human being who didn't do anything. God did it through them. Anything God accomplishes in your life, you didn't do it. He did it through you. We are willing vessels, okay? And the Bible tells us, Jesus said that my dad's now your dad. You can talk to him. He loves you. He'll answer your prayers. John 15, 7. He says in Hebrews, we can come boldly into the throne of grace and lay our petitions at his feet. Why do you want to mess around with a middleman? They got no power. They can't do anything for you. And you can pray straight to God. And Mary says, whatever he tells you, do that. Not what I told him. So later on, because the, the idea of those that believe, you can pray to Mary. Oh, Mary, you know, Holy Mary, full of grace, Notre Dame's in second place. Um, it's not going to get you anything. And if Jesus publicly tells his mom, 
I don't listen to that. What makes you think that now she's got some special power? If you pray to her, she can convince him to do something. Because the idea was you got to listen to your mom. So if you pray to Mary and she asks him, it'll happen. I think God, John recorded that because he knew what, God knew what was going to happen later. Makes no sense. Just trying to help you get free. My grandmother was a Catholic, and she quit being a Catholic for good reasons. And that's a couple of them. All right. So Mary surrendered not only to God's will, not only God's child, she surrendered to God's authority. Jesus had authority, and he tells her no. Jesus, Mary also surrendered to God's family. In Matthew 12, we find an interesting thing where Mary and her, her other sons, Jesus' brothers, come to see him, and there's a crowd, and they're outside, and they said, hey, I'm Mary, I'm his mom, this is his brothers, can you go tell them we want to see him? So this guy makes his way through the crowd, gets up to where Jesus is teaching everybody, and he says, hey, your mom and brothers are outside, and they'd like to see you. And listen to this response in Matthew 12. Jesus, stretching out his hands toward his disciples, said, here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Again, Jesus is not rebuking her. He's straightening out her idea and authority. He said, listen, you're not exclusive. Anybody who does the will of God is in our family. And Mary submits to the family of God as a member of the family of God. She is one of us. If Mary were alive, she's not. She won't be here today at all in any kind of form. But if we were living and, and Mary was alive and she came in here, she would be another member of the church. Because there's only one important person and that's Christ. Not me, not you, not anybody else. We're not, they're not super saints and lesser saints. We're saints or we're not. We're followers of Christ or we're not. Does that mean we can't grow in Christ? Of course, that we levels of growth. But the minute you're saved, you have the authority to be called the son of God or the daughter of God, the child of God. Amen? And I want to show you why I know that Mary is totally submitted to being in the family of God. She submits to his plan. Acts 1.14 after Jesus ascended back to heaven and before the Holy Spirit came, in verse 14 of Acts 1, it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. One time at the end of a service, I called on a lady to pray. Somebody gave me grief about it. I said, you need to go read your Bible. <laughs> the women were together in prayer there, weren't they? And Mary was there praying. Not leading the prayer meeting. I don't mean that in any other way. She's not saying, I'm the mother of Jesus, so y'all need to listen to me. She's on her face with them because she knows Jesus made a promise. I'm going to go away, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. It is good for us that Jesus physically left this earth so that he could, so he could send the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to fill us. The Bible tells us, uh, this is the big theology. It says it in, in Acts 2. You can look at the end of Peter's sermon. He says, because Jesus accomplished the will of God that he has received this promise from the Father. And that's what you see poured out on us, the person of the Holy Spirit. We've received and then Jesus obeys the Father's will out of his love for him. He receives the authority to tell the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit serves what Christ wants. And the Holy Spirit lives in the church and with each one of us. Now, that sounds kind of strange. As human 
words to try to help us get a hold of what God decided in Trinity. Somewhere, sometime, somehow, don't know when, don't know where, the three are, and they still are co-equal. They have the same essence and being and power and authority. But this plan, and it's, you can read Colossians, you'll get the bigger picture of the plan. We're going to create a world. We're going to put humans on it. They're going to rebel, but instead of like we did with the other creations that rebelled, throw them in hell, we're going to redeem them. Anybody will believe in us. And Jesus said, I'll, I'll make that plan. Father, is that good? Yes, do it. He gives the authority, and Jesus says, I'll submit to your will how to do it. They do that, and the Father somehow says, and if you do that, then the Holy Spirit says, I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do, Jesus. I'll go and be with them. Now, I'm just making up that conversation, but that is the idea of what happened. And so in Acts 2, at the end of Peter's sermon, he says, what you see is the promise of the Father being given to the Son and being poured out on the church. And the Holy Spirit comes on the church. God himself, and Jesus doesn't come into our heart. The Holy Spirit comes into our life. And we walk in the Spirit. And by the way, the term the Holy Spirit, we shorten that in English. If you, if you translate it with all its power out of the Greek language into English, it would say the Spirit. I mean the Holy Spirit is given to those who believe. Mary knew that that, that there's something coming. Jesus said, I'm going away. I'm going to send the Spirit to you. They are praying in that upper room for 10 days. And Mary is there praying with the body for the will of God to happen. She is submitted to the body of Christ. She is submitted to the will of God. She is submitted to God's plan and God's family and God's authority. And what do we get from that? Well, if Mary submitted to that, we can submit to that. She did it because of love. Did you know you can choose to love God? You say, well, I can't love God like that. Well, sure you can. Why are you stopping yourself before you ever do anything? You can love God. You can love him supremely. You can totally abandon yourself on God. And that is what all this talking about Mary should make you think about. I've said a lot about Mary, but Mary was all about Jesus. Everything she did was to be in the will of God and fulfill her role in Jesus' life. We didn't go to the cross, but she's standing there at the cross, and at the cross, Jesus being responsible as a firstborn son for his mother, says, woman, and points to John, behold your son, to John, son, behold your mother. He turns that responsibility over to John, not to his brothers. That's kind of interesting. They're not even saved yet, but they're going to be when he comes back out of that tomb. Then they go, wait a minute. We just thought big brother was pulling our leg. He really is who he said he is. Romans 1 tells us the resurrection proves that what Jesus said is true, that he is God. If you can find the body of Christ or evidence of it in historical literature or anywhere else, and by the way, hundreds of people, a hundred times smarter than any of us or all of us together in here have tried, and they can't do it. Jesus is the Son of God. He did die on a cross. He was buried. He did rise again. He did ascend into heaven. He did send the Holy Spirit. It is, it is so provable that nobody can assail the facts of what the Bible tells us is true. And Mary accepted it, and Mary lived it out. So how can you apply this coming into Christmas? First of all, I tell you this. If God's will troubles you, hang in there. Stay with him. Ask the questions. You got questions, God got, God's got answers. This book strikes me as a book of answers, not a book of questions. Sometimes what it tells us makes us wonder, but he's got more answers. And so listen to what God says in his word and stay with him. 
Secondly, Mary was there at Christmas. Will you be? When we celebrate Christmas this year, are you going to be so caught up with, with all the attract, uh, attractions that grab our attention away from Christ? Are you going to fight through that and keep Christ at the center of this? It's something we have to do. Uh, Pastor Andy asked me uh, the other day some ways that we, we tried to keep Christ in the center. And, and I, I, I think slowly, so it was after we were done, I thought of this. But we threw a birthday party for Jesus when the kids were little. When the youngest was five and the oldest was ten, I believe, or maybe even younger than that. Just, hey, it's his birthday, and we just want to make a big deal out of it. So she made a cake, and we sang happy birthday to Jesus. Just a way to remind them this is about Christ, not about us. Thirdly, surrender with absolute abandon to God. Surrender with absolute abandon. Sign up to be a disposable asset. Lord, I'll do whatever you want. God calls us to die to ourselves and live to him. And if it means our physical death, well, so what? I'm already in heaven. You're just, just getting me there. Thanks. Thanks for punching my ticket. Woo, get to go be with Jesus. I mean, that ought to be our, our attitude. I'm, I don't say that lightly. I understand that all of us would be a little bit nervous about all that. But friend, let me just tell you, you don't have to be. I know a man who died and came back and said, I'll never fear death again. I know a couple guys that happened to you, actually. I have no fear anymore. I know that my, not because they saw anything, but they knew in that moment they were at perfect peace. And God's will was being done. I pray that this Christmas you can follow the will of God out of your love for God. Choose to love God, love him to death.